Hello and welcome to the Outpost podcast. We're having a look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians in a series called Sit, Walk, Stand. We hope that you find it helpful. So here we are. This is week two of a three-week series on the book of Ephesians. It's certainly the quickest I've ever gone through Ephesians in a series. Uh, We're not doing an in-depth study. We're just using Watchman Nee's classic book, Sit, Walk, Stand, um, as a bit of a guide as we step through three significant things in the book of Ephesians. Um, As many people have noted, uh, that Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, which is one of the 27 books that make up the New Testament, um, it has a clear division in it. So the first half is our identity, who we are in Christ, and the second half is how we should live. And so Watchman Nee uh, uses words from within the text in order to highlight uh, the themes. Um, and so he uses the word sit, uh, which could be seated. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ. And he himself uh, was raised by the Father and seated at his right hand in the heavens. Um, And then we get to join him. He is seated in heavenly places uh, because of his own obedience. Um, And then we get to be seated because of his grace. He gets that power and authority by what he did. Uh, We also get that power and authority by what he did. Uh, It's his grace. We can't boast. It's all he's doing. And um, I just, I guess I, th- I liken it, you know, we're in this amazing position, like I said, power and authority uh, in the heavens with Christ, and it's all his doing. Um, there's been a number of things that I've seen over the years of amazing feats of strength where people have taken someone up a mountain, um, and whether it's on a, on a backpack or some other means, but to actually carry someone uh, and that person that is the recipient of all the hard work of the other person gets the same view or if they're in a backpack maybe a slightly better view Um, but you get the amazing privilege of being up there but it's someone else's work that got you there and it doesn't cheapen it it actually makes it more rich because you celebrate what someone else has done particularly if you had no hope of achieving it yourself and so for us that's I think a helpful picture where we have been carried to this place that we could never get to on our own. And now we get to appreciate it. We get to celebrate him and appreciate what he has done and appreciate this position that we have all because of him. So there's uh, six chapters in Ephesians. The first three are focused on our identity. Uh, And then most of the next two are what uh, Watchman Nee describes as uh, to walk which is what we're focused on today. And then the the last little bit is to stand. And so to walk um, is our focus before people. Uh, We walk out our faith before others. Uh, And then from chapter 6, verse 10 onwards, stand. We take our stand before the devil. And that's our focus for next week. So if you missed out on last week, um, then yeah, have a listen to the podcast in order to catch up. And for today, we're really going to... have a look at the different passages that come up that feature that word of walk um, as we get a chance to to dive right in. So I'm going to say a prayer and uh, ask, Father, would you show us what it is that you have for us today? I pray for each and every one of us that we would know you better 
as a result of our time together. I pray that we would become more dependent upon you, that we would be better at receiving what you have for us and then living it out, walking in it. So would you have your way? Would it be for your glory and for our good? In Jesus' name, amen. So at the beginning of chapter 4, we have um, verse 1, as you would expect. And I just want to read it out in three different translations, although it's actually the same translation. So the, the Holman Christian Standard Bible was the predecessor to the Christian Standard Bible, which is what uh, we default to here at Outpost. Um, and the, the HCSB said, Therefore I, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. And then, uh, that was uh, 2004, then when the 2017 version of the CSB came out, the first CSB, uh, it was modified to, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. So two words were changed. Instead of Paul being the prisoner for the Lord, he's the prisoner in the Lord. But then the one we're going to focus on now is that instead of saying to walk worthy of the calling, they changed it to live worthy of the calling. And so we get the idea that this particular Greek word could be translated as walk or it could be translated as live. Um, but then when you go digital, so my copy, my hard copy of the CSBs from 2017, um, but you look it up on the CSB in digital form now, and I'm assuming the printed versions now, it goes back to um, what it was in 2004. They've maintained the in the Lord, um, but then urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. So it's gone from walk to live and back to walk, all in essentially the same translation. And so I may have laboured this point, uh, but to walk is to live. I do find it fascinating that a modern translation went back to the word walk after moving from walk to live. And so there is something about the word walk that is more helpful than the word live. To walk is to progress, to have forward momentum, but of course it is also to live it out. You could say that to walk is to live out the reality of sitting down. And that sounds pretty weird when you think about it and try to actually act that one out. Uh, we'll get to one of Watchman Nee's analogies hopefully later on in the podcast uh, where he tries to define how that works, how walking is the reality, is to live out the reality of sitting down. Um, so watch out for that one. But here we have, it's really important that we have this section. It is so good that we spend three chapters and it felt trite last week to just spend, um, it was less than 20 minutes um, and we were covering those first three chapters and doing that in a very, very surface level way. But um, three chapters of just hammering home, this is who we are in Christ. It doesn't matter if we were born into the Jewish family or not. This is who we are in Christ. And we get it, we get it, we get it. And hopefully we do get it. But this is the applying of it. You know, we go from the amazing heavenly truths to the practical earthly reality of living them out. You see, this is not remote. It's not unreal and nor is it just theory. It is present and it is practical. We are a heavenly people, but it will not do to simply speak of a distant heaven. As a church, we're called Outpost. 
We are to be an outpost of heaven. And that reminds us there is so much more than the temporal things that are around us. But it also makes us responsible to give people a taste of heaven, an encounter with God. Unless we bring heaven into our lounge rooms, our schools, our kitchens, workplaces, cars, wherever, we're missing the point. As many have pointed out before, Jesus didn't just die to get us into heaven. He died to get heaven into us. One thing that I'm really passionate about, and I'm not alone in this, is that I want us to get our understanding of what it is to live the Christian life from the scriptures themselves. Not based on hearsay, not based on our own thoughts. So let's dive in to Ephesians. If you've got a Bible handy, then pick it up. Ephesians chapter 4. And then we're going to go back to what we just read in verse 1 um, and then read the next couple of verses as well. So, Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This actually includes this passage that we've just read includes this concept of long suffering and patience can be translated as long suffering and some of the older translations do that but this idea of bearing with one another that you get in the middle of that chunk that I just read you see people will make your life harder sometimes intentionally and we're called to bear with those people in love Our unity depends upon this kind of response because people will hurt us and it's so easy for us to respond in a negative way. It's so easy for one person's mistake to lead to someone else responding in a negative way and the spiral. We're all familiar with that spiral that continues. But this is saying that people will make mistakes, have grace for those people, bear with them, have patience. This word humility is not accidental in there either. To appreciate that we have done the same thing. We are capable of doing the same thing. We're not coming off as holier than thou. I can't believe you did this. There is no way I would ever do that. You're such whatever. Humility is so key. We walk this whole thing out with patience gentleness how critical is that to be gentle in our response to others to be gentle in what we initiate but also gentle in how we respond to people's failings and then humility as i've already said and it's interesting as we read that it's it's definitely possible that you could get to reading through that passage and go oh man and just feel a burden this brick in the backpack of your life make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We certainly get from that that it's not going to happen automatically. It's not going to happen if we're just coasting through life. There is something for us to do, but it certainly can add to this this sense of of pressure. Uh, Let's keep reading, though. We'll jump over to chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love, As Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. And this is just beautiful. Like in chapter 4, we're told to respond well to others. In chapter 5, 
we're told to respond well to Jesus. <laughs> in other words, we initiate toward others because we're responding to what Jesus has done, not to what they have done. It is a game changer if we respond to Jesus and give other people what Jesus deserves and not what they deserve. Let, let's love others with the same kind of intentionality and self-sacrifice that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. It's similar to the start of chapter 4, but like I said, it's more proactive. It's not just having patience when people mess up, but it's being proactive to demonstrate love. And we know where our example lies. It's in Christ. He's the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. And if that tense bothers you, because it says that he loved us and gave himself up for us, which it also says later in, in chapter 5 as well when speaking about how husbands are to love their wives, it's not saying that he once loved us and he no longer loves us. It's simply demonstrating that the biblical love that we are reading about is not a feeling. It's based on action. It's based on what we actually do. And there is no greater expression of love than what Christ did on the cross. So when it says Christ loved us, it's pointing back to the demonstration of Christ's love for us on the cross. That's the demonstration that we emulate in how we treat others. We'll jump back a little bit now to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 19. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more, a continual lust for more in another translation. So there is this call. There is this call for us to live out the Christian life. And we've been given some imperatives of what we are to do, but now it's being spelt out what we're not to do. And obviously in that day, saying don't live like the Gentiles, don't walk as the Gentiles do, that meant more for them than it probably does for most of us. Uh, but then goes on to, to spell that out and there's plenty of different statements uh, of things that we are to avoid things that we are to actually allow to be removed from us. I love that language when you get to verse 31 of chapter 4. Let all bitterness, anger and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. It's a passive sounding statement. Let it be removed from you. Don't hold on to it. Jesus will take it away. Allow him to take it away. Don't grab it. I think that's really, really interesting. We are told what not to do as well as what we are. But the thing is, I, I think you can resonate with this, that a lot of the time Christians are known for what we stand against. <laughs> the do nots, the things that we say no to, and the things that we're actually saying others should say no to as well. Uh, there's a, uh, a video, someone had a lot of fun putting it together with our Prime Minister Scott Morrison just saying, stop it. A bunch of times uh, and it's all these pet peeves that this person obviously has and it's just like stop it stop it it's un-Australian stop it stop it that was almost an American accent I don't know why I did that but uh, our Aussie Prime Minister um, is telling us to stop 
And that was at the start of the coronavirus uh, pandemic for us in Australia, at least. And uh, it was just interesting to, to have his strong words saying, stop being foolish in your response uh, to these guidelines, to these directives. Um, and for us as Christians, we're known for often doing that kind of thing. And um, Jesus tells us that we are to take the log out of our own eye before we take the speck out of our brothers. And a couple of things from that. Like one is that we are to first and foremost apply things to ourselves, and we are to seek to remove the log. And yes, there does come a time that we'll remove the speck from our brother's eye. But if someone's not submitted to us and we're telling them what they should and shouldn't do, it's unlikely to go down well. And for our Prime Minister, you know, we um, have a responsibility to, to follow his directives. Um, we as a nation are intended to be submitted to our leaders. And so for him to say stop it, as funny as that particular video is, um, it's legitimate. Um, but let's not step outside of the boundaries of what we've been called to do. Um, for mine, a, a big one that hit me a few years ago was just that the directions that we're given, the instructions that we're given in the New Testament are best applied to ourselves and to this current moment. Don't mishear me. The New Testament applies to our past and our future in very significant ways. But when it comes to instructions, there will always be a temptation to defer the responsibility in different ways. So we can defer the responsibility by prideful comparison and be like, oh man, this person really needs to hear that. I remember once hearing someone say, don't judge people who sin differently to you. Yes, someone might struggle in an area more than you do, but don't act as though you've never sinned. And the second one is chronological issues where you're like, oh man, I'm awesome now that I no longer have any pride. <laughs> And if we're improving in whatever area, it's a good thing. And I think we can actually celebrate those things, but we should never think that we've fully arrived, that we don't have any more growth that we require. Um, and the other chronological issue is perhaps a more common one where we'll say, oh yeah, one day I'll do better with lying. And we delay something and we make it a future thing, not a right here, right now. It's for us and it's for right here, right now. So when it says obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks, that's speaking to me right here, right now. And I love it how there's the double thing of saying, don't do this, but giving us an alternative. Here's a constructive thing for you to do instead. But I think perhaps what's more damaging than us um, standing up and saying, you shouldn't do this to other people who don't follow Jesus I think what's even more destructive is us being offended by the actions of others, our response when we are wronged. See, Jesus didn't die to defend our rights. I want to read a, a testimony from the book Sit, Walk, Stand. Um, and oh man, there's this one line that just messes me up every time. If we only try to do the right thing, surely we are very poor Christians. We have to do something more than what is right. Man, that hits me. But now I'll read that in context. A brother in South China had a rice field in the middle of the hill. 
In time of drought, he used a water wheel worked by a treadmill to lift water from the irrigation stream into his field. His neighbour had two fields below his, and one night made a breach in the dividing bank and drained off all his water. When the brother repaired the breach and pumped in more water, his neighbour did the same thing again, and this was repeated three or four times. So he consulted his brethren. I have tried to be patient and not to retaliate, he said, but is it right? After they had prayed together about it, one of them replied, if only, sorry, if we only try to do the right thing, surely we are very poor Christians. We have to do something more than what is right. The brother was much impressed. Next morning, he pumped water for the two fields below and in the afternoon pumped water for his own field. After that, the water stayed in his field. His neighbour was so amazed at his action that he began to inquire the reason and in course of time, he too became a Christian. So my brethren, don't stand on your right. Don't feel that because you have gone the second mile, you have done what is just. The second mile is only typical of the third and the fourth. The principle is that of conformity to Christ. We have nothing to stand for, nothing to ask or demand. We have only to give. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross, he did not do so to defend our rights. It was grace that took him there. Now, as his children, we try always to give others what is their due and more. We have to remind ourselves that we are often not right. We fail and it is always good to learn from our failures, to be ready to confess and willing to go beyond what is necessary in doing so. So that was an excerpt from the book, um, Sit, Walk, Stand by Watchman Nee, uh, the story and then those, those comments afterwards. But boom. Uh, if we jump down to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, I think what I've just read nails um, a beautiful response to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, a living that out. For once, sorry, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. We are to live different because we are different, because we are in Christ. Our lives need to reflect this. Let's have a, a read of Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. And, and this is another one of those ones that includes an alternative. So instead of saying, just don't do this, we get a beautiful alternative instead. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is and don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless living but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So we're given that instruction to not be drunk, but instead to be filled by the Spirit. And then he gives us some examples of what that looks like, where we speak to one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Beautiful thing where we're encouraging one another, yet at the same time we're singing and making music with our heart to the Lord. So it's to one another, but it's also to the Lord, um, yeah, and giving thanks always. What a game changer when we're thankful people, hey?
As we go back to the start of that passage, verse 15 of chapter 5, we're told to pay careful attention to how we walk. And it does hammer home this reality that for us, we cannot just go with the flow. So we are told to make the most of the time because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but know what the will of the Lord is. We're not to be passive. We're not just to go with things as they are. Even though we have been made new, we are new creations in Christ. We have his spirit within us, but the days are evil. There is this default, this draw. We still have the capacity for evil ourselves, even as new creations. And so we are to pay careful attention to how we walk. Don't just assume that things are going to um, progress towards conformity to Christ because they won't, not unless we're paying careful attention. It doesn't mean that we're the ones that do it, but we are on it. We are required to want him, to invite him to do what he does in us and through us. Our goal is conformity to Christ. Our goal is to live as Christ lived, to be imitators of God. Jesus himself said that we are to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. And the reality is that these things are impossible, but there is a secret. There is something that we are told, and it's probably not a big surprise to know where we're going to find that as we read through Ephesians. We find it in those first three chapters. We find it in our identity. As we read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, we see that it is the power that works within us. So the whole verse says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. It's his power at work in us and through us. And this is not an isolated verse. As we read in Colossians 1.29, where Paul says, I labour with all his strength that works mightily in me. It's his strength working in me. It's his life lived through us. If we go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, It is God who works in you. It is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. It's God. It is Jesus himself who's doing his work through us. Um, For our, our worship time Sunday this week, we watched this video uh, which feel free to um, to YouTube it. Uh, it's Dick and Rick Hoyt, and maybe you've seen it before, maybe you've seen it already. There's a father uh, with his son who I believe has cerebral palsy, and you know his son wants to to go in this five mile uh, running race, and so his brother, his his father agrees to uh, to push him uh, for that in in some kind of wheelchair. Um, stroller and um, that then leads to him doing these epic Ironman events where he's pushing his son, uh, he's swimming with his son being towed in a boat behind him Uh, and it's amazing to see the joy of the son as he just gets to sit there um, and yet somehow participate in what his father is doing and it's a beautiful picture of our walk with Christ uh, I mentioned at the start of the podcast this analogy that uh, Watchman Nee gives where he talks about 
us. Uh, what does it mean to walk? What does it mean for us to walk out of faith? He said, don't think so much about an athlete running a race, but think more of a person in a car. Because they sit, they're able to go. And even better than that, think of a power-driven invalid carriage, he says, like an electric wheelchair. Um, And because you sit, you have this capacity to go. And for us, the need is for us to be able to sit. And it's not because of our own work or effort that we find ourselves in this place of honour, in this place of authority, but it's because of his effort, because of his grace that we are there, but we still get to enjoy it. We get to enjoy uh, what is a spectacular position and we get to enjoy it because of what he has done. And um, yeah, my, um, one of my favourite quotes from, from this book is this, this phrase where he said, he is not, speaking of God, God is not afraid of making the most exacting demands upon himself. And for us, there is this temptation, certainly for me, there's many times that I've just kind of wanted something from God, like, God, give me strength or, or give me your love or, or give me this thing. And I think in those moments, I'm forgetting that it's actually Jesus in me. I'm not asking for a gift. I'm not asking for something from him. I'm asking for him to live his life through me. An example would be if there's someone, when, whenever I'm in the same room as them, I might feel this lack of peace, like, How can I feel peaceful when this person is here because of whatever dynamic is there? But I consider Christ and it's like, if Jesus is there in the room, how could he possibly feel anything but peace? How could he experience anything other than peace, even with that person in the room? So maybe it's not natural for me, but it's perfectly natural for Christ. And I'm seeking for him to live his life through me, that he would love that person through me. Often in life, if, if we sit down, it feels like we've stepped out of something and we've given up. But my encouragement to myself and to you is that in this coming season, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling like there's something that you know you should do or something that scripture says you should do, but you just feel like you can't, sit down. Just take a seat. Take a seat. Remember who you are. Remember that it's him at work through you. He is not afraid of making the most exacting demands upon himself. It simply means that he is confident in his ability to fulfill the things he's commanded. He's the one who's going to do it through you and through me. He's the one that has confidence in himself. So when we know that we can't do something, we sit We remind ourselves that we are already seated. We experience the rest. We by faith expect the the power. And we allow him to do what he does so naturally in us and through us. Our conduct depends completely upon our inward resting Christ. I'll say that better our ability to fulfill what Jesus has called us to do depends completely upon our inward rest in Christ. We can't do it on our own. We can only do it as we fall back on him, as we thrust ourselves into his arms and allowing him to do it. 
So let us take a seat. Hallelujah. I want to pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he lived this perfect life of obedience. Thank you that he is seated forever at your right hand. And thank you that we are seated with him in the heavenlies. Wow. Help us to understand the reality of that. Help us to walk it out by remaining seated with you, by allowing you to live your life through us, knowing that we can experience all sorts of things that are unhelpful. However, you are never overwhelmed. You are never unsure of what to do next. You're never lacking the resources to do what you need to do. And you are seeking to do that through us. Would we let you? In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week.